I wonder if this looks like life to you. Um, There's a couple of expressions uh, that have stood out to me. Uh, One is a rat's nest, Um, something excessively complicated, entangled, or disorderly, something that you can't tease it apart. Um, Another English expression uh, we don't use very often is a mare's nest. Um, And this is very similar to a situation of great disorder or confusion, but it adds this idea that the whole thing might be a hoax. The whole thing might be dishonest, right? It's not just a mess, but it might be a trick against us. There's an expression I've I've heard for quite some time that I've never really liked it. Uh, It's talking about a wicked problem. (laughs) And a wicked problem is where there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of discord, disagreement, and there's lack of progress. We just feel like we can't get anywhere. It's just so complex. We don't even agree with what the problem is. We can't define it. We don't know what to do about it. And we never seem to make any progress. And it's easy to look at things in our families, in our individual lives, and in our world that are wicked problems. And of course, we look at it and add actual wickedness to it. It's not just a hard problem, but there is evil in it. We live in a world that is such a weight and such a challenge and what do we do? What do we do? Where do we turn? And it takes some time to look at a story in the Bible from John 11. And uh, I'm doing things a little bit differently today. I'm not going to have the text on the screen. I'd like to have it in front of you. And uh, we have some Bibles uh, that some people will be walking down. If you've got one, if you've got it digitally. But we're just going to walk through the section of John 11 together. Um, and to see the story in the life of Jesus. Um, Yeah, and so if you need one of the Bibles, I think there's a page mark that's just at the right place uh, for you as well, but people are coming with with those um, for you. We want to look at this story, just walking through it briefly together. I'll be reading from the New International Version. So John 11, starting at verse 1, mine has the heading, The Death of Lazarus. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. just want to stop there for a second. We're told about this man named Lazarus who was sick and his two sisters. And they had a close relationship with Jesus. Jesus wasn't just an idea. He he wasn't just a a detached God. He was one who had friends and relationships, people that he loved and they loved him. And they sent word, these women sent word to Jesus saying, the one you loved is sick and needs help. And of course, this wasn't just information. It was a request. Would you do something about this? Could you help us? And and this is where we are today. We say, Jesus, we're in trouble. Would you help us? And so we're just in the place of these, these two sisters, of the man who was so sick. So I want to start today doing what they did and praying and asking the Lord to help us, asking the Lord to help us here 
uh, gathered together online and in person, also to help in our community. We say, Lord, would you help us? So let's pray. Jesus, we do ask, we pray that you would help us. We as individuals struggle where we are. We struggle in our families and in our communities. We, we struggle at Michigan State. We struggle in, in this society, in this country, and, and we struggle in this world. We're a people who need help. And Jesus, we ask for help. We do ask today that you would help, that, that you would help specifically um, for the families of those who have died. Father, our hearts break for the family of Brian Fraser, Alexandria Werner, and Arielle Anderson. We ask for help. Their friends, their family need help. They need it in practical ways even more. They need it in knowing how to make sense of this world. Father, we pray also for, for those who are who were injured. We don't know much about many of them, but we know that there is a struggle. We pray for those who are international students. We pray for those who are uh, from the U.S. We know of, of John Howe, and we ask, with the devastating injury, with the fear and loss for his, his parents, we pray for your kindness, for your mercy, for the practical needs, for for the need for peace and security again. We pray. Jesus, we need help. We who call your name need help. Those who do not yet know you need help. We ask for your help. We thank you that you hear. We'll trust that you will act. Amen. So they sent word, and they say, Jesus, we need help. So then, verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Notice, for God's glory, that God's Son may be glorified through it. So stop there for a second. Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Literally, it's this, this sickness is not to death. This sickness will go through death, but it's not going to end there. So he says, this isn't exactly what it seems. But he says, this is for God's glory. He says, this is so that that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, I want to be clear about this. God doesn't need more glory, (laughs) right? God doesn't need more praise. Now, when God is glorified, It's when people see his power and his love and rejoice in it. This is for God to be glorified. It's for people to see and rejoice in who he is. Jesus said, the sickness won't end in death, but here's what this sickness is going to do. It's going to cause people to see God. It's going to cause people to see the Son of God and to glorify him by, by seeing and rejoicing in who he is. He says, there's something at work here. That is to glorify God, which means that people would see who he is and would rejoice in him. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that, when Laz- that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. 
And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Stop there for a second. Jesus loved this family. He loved these sisters and this brother. I find translations of the Bible so interesting. And I'm reading the New International Version. I have another one on my shelf that's a little bit older. An older translation of this verse said Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, yet he waited. It said he loved, but contrary to his love, he didn't do anything about it. But that's not actually what the text says. So what I read here is, is the more accurate version. It, it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days. His love prompted him not to go right away. We say, what a puzzle. <laughs> what could be going on? Why would he wait because of love? Not in spite of his love, but because of his love. But he waited. And then after the two days, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So in verse 8, But Rabbi, the disciples said, A short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet, you're going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Well, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. So stop there for a second. Jesus says, okay, we're going to go. Now, in the story, Jesus had just been back in that area in Judea, and they literally tried to kill him. So his disciples understood when Jesus hesitated about going back. <laughs> they said, yeah, probably a good idea we don't go back to Judea because that could lead to trouble for you. They're trying to kill you. But Jesus said, okay, now let's go. And they couldn't understand why would we go back to the place where you were going to be killed. And Jesus says, walking in God's plan, I'm safe. It will happen the way God intends so I can go back there because I'm not in the dark. I'm following what God says. John highlights, they so often, the disciples so often didn't understand what Jesus was doing or saying. He says, oh, he's asleep. And they're like, oh, good, let's let him keep resting. <laughs> we don't need to go because sleep will make him better. She says, no, I didn't mean physical sleep. I meant his death is not forever. But then Jesus said, I'm glad he has died without us there so that you will believe. Right? He has a purpose in this, a purpose for how this is going to play out. And it's for his glory and it was for their belief. Right? In this, we see that sometimes Jesus' love leads him not to help us now. And we struggle with that, but, but very clearly we're taught his love prompted him not to be present at this horrible time. And we say, why would he do that? Well, he says it's because I want people to know God's glory. I want them to know the glory of the Son of God. And I want them 
to believe. How do you know somebody has the power of resurrection? Only when somebody died. So Jesus said, I want you to know this reality. So finally, he is going, verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Brother, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Martha comes out to Jesus and and, and she says, you could have prevented this. It's a mild accusation that said, why did it take so long for you to come? But then she follows up and says, I know that you have such a relationship with God, you can still ask. You can still ask for God to work. And when Jesus says, well, your brother will rise again, she says, well, I do, I do know that. I believe in the resurrection. I believe at the end of time that those who are dead in Christ will rise, in, in God will rise again. And Jesus says a startling thing. See, Martha thought Jesus could pray to the Father and maybe the Father would do a miracle for him. She says, I believe in the resurrection. Jesus said, no, I want you to believe in something more than the resurrection. He didn't say there is a resurrection coming. He said, I am the resurrection. I don't have to ask the Father because I am God. I can give life. And he says, the life I give continues on even if there's a physical death. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe me, Jesus said. And then she does say, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. I believe in you as the resurrection. So we see here that that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He doesn't just promise it. He says, to know me is to know the resurrection. And so his question to her is not just, do you believe in me, but do you trust me? That's what he's saying. Do you trust me? In the circumstance, in the confusion, in the grief, in the pain, do you trust me? And she says, yes, Lord, I do. Then verse 28, Mary comes as well. After Martha had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, 
He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So stop there for a second. Mary comes out and the same statement, you could have prevented this. And Jesus saw weeping. He saw the weeping of of Mary, of the many people who were joining in the weeping. And we have these words that when Jesus saw it, he was deeply moved in spirit. Uh, This word in in the Greek in the New Testament isn't used very often, but there's a part of the word that most English translations hide from us. That being troubled wasn't just, this is such a sad situation. Although it was that. He looked and he saw the pain of the people and he felt that pain. But this word includes anger in it. You see, he didn't just say like them, oh, this is so sad. And it was so sad. But he was angry because death is not right. Because there is evil in the world and he was upset about evil. He was upset about the effects of sin. You see, just to come into a situation and say, I feel for you, it's a good thing. But if you have power to solve the problem and you don't care to do anything about it, it's empty. He wasn't just angry about it. He combined compassion for them and their pain and the anger at the emptiness of this world and its brokenness, the despair over death as though that were the end. Jesus was deeply troubled. He was upset. And he wept. He cared deeply for them. And the people puzzled over this. And and we wrestle with the same question today, the problem of evil in the world. If there's a good God, why didn't he solve the problem? And that's what they said. He just did a miracle. Why didn't he come earlier and solve this one too? Well, Jesus already has given us the answer because he wants us to see his glory and he wants us to believe, to genuinely trust him. But they didn't see that. They just said, it's great that he cares. But is that all? We see here that that Jesus deeply cares, deeply cares. And this is both compassion and anger at evil. He deeply cared. I mean, he, he wept. He's at this funeral, and they didn't understand the depth of his pain, the depth of his heart that says, I feel for these people who are in despair and loss, and I'm angry at the circumstances that brought about the brokenness in the world. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not how God had created people. Jesus cared deeply in this mixture of compassion and anger at the brokenness of the world. So then verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Let me read that again. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 
I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Then Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Death no longer was a problem to him, but the wrappings of death were. (laughs) He said, would you release him because he is alive? Martha wrestled with the smell that there would be because the body had been dead. And Jesus said, didn't I tell you, if you'll believe, you'll see the glory of God. And then he prayed. Obviously, he'd already prayed. He already had prayed for what would happen, and God had already answered his prayer. But he prayed publicly so that people would believe. He said, if you'll believe, you will see the glory of God. Of God, you will see and rejoice in who He is. That Jesus invites us to trust Him. And He proves His power. And in this case, He proved His power by that resurrection in that moment. We usually don't have access to that kind of work of God. We usually don't see this happen. Right? But He did this in that time to prove for us and for all who would read this account, He has the power to do this. He says, will you trust me? If you'll trust me, you will see my glory. This promise. If we'll trust him, he promises to show his glory. That's what he was doing. Now, I want to take us back in the story to when Jesus was talking to Mary and Martha. Because that's where we live. We don't live at the end of the story where Lazarus is alive again. (laughs) right? We live back in the story when all they know is their brother is dead and Jesus was not present when he was needed. And he says to them, will you trust me? Will you trust that I have the power in the situation, that I love you and care for you, and I am doing a good thing? Will you trust me? He said, if you will trust me, I will show you my glory. He says, that's why I let Lazarus die, so that you could see my glory, the the power of the resurrection that I have, that I am the resurrection and the life, he said. See, in the story, we see that the invitation is to trust Jesus. And we'll see and experience God's love and power. What he said to Mary, to Martha, is the invitation to us. Will you trust me, he says. Will you trust that I am the resurrection and the life, that I have the power over death? He says, if you'll trust me, I will show my glory to you. Even in the greatest confusion and difficulty and crisis. So this is where we live. We live in this mess that we can't tease out, we can't tangle it. And some of us are so given to analysis. We think, if I could just get that line untangled, it would be okay. (laughs) We believe we could control it, but we can't. The problems of the world are beyond any of us. We look at it, and this is what we see. And Jesus said, I have a solution for this. And in fact, here's a great irony. Jesus Bringing Lazarus back to life led to Jesus' death. That's what the rest of the story says. Because he went next to Jerusalem and brought this man back to life, word got out and the religious leaders say, we've got to get rid of him. His rescuing Lazarus led to Jesus' death. It led to the cross. And yet, what is the cross for? 
so that we would know the glory of God. The death of Lazarus was so that we would know the glory of God, that he is the power of the resurrection. The death of Jesus is so that we would know the glory of God. Right? See, this this mess leads to the cross. It's solved in the cross, not in anything else. There aren't any laws that we can pass that will solve the problem of evil in the world. There's there's no reformation of society that's going to solve the real problem that we have. We should work on these problems. We should wrestle with better ways to live. But they'll never solve the mess. The only thing that can is the cross of Christ. He says, I took all of that to the cross. And he says on the other side of the cross, I will show you my glory. I will reveal the glory of God and the glory of the Son of God that you will know his love and his power that is deeper than any trouble that we have. It is only through the cross, only through the death of Jesus Christ. And then his resurrection, do we see that he is the resurrection and the life and that we have hope in this life because of him. It's the application, very simple, what Jesus said, will you trust me? It's to trust Jesus. It's, it's to trust his love and his compassion and his justice and his power that he has the power to, to, to deal with these things, to, to do what we cannot do. He is a God that is angry at injustice and evil in good and righteous ways. He's a God who's deeply compassionate, who weeps when his people weep. We're to trust in his love, his compassion, his justice, his power, also to trust his decisions. And that is perhaps the hardest thing to do. Mary and Martha said, Jesus, you could have done this differently. Why did you wait? And he says, will you trust me when I choose to wait? When I choose to let things happen, will you trust me? Jesus says, will you trust me even in the face of death? And here's the amazing thing. As we follow a Savior who trusted his Father even in the face of death. Even in the judgment of the Father against him because of us. He says, will you trust me even as I have trusted my Father? And as we trust him, then Jesus says, then put your hope in knowing the glory of God. And and there is a day when we will see it fully. On the other side of the cross, it opens up into the kingdom of God fully expressed, where sin and sorrow and, and, uh, and, and death is gone forever. It says, when all is made whole again, there is that hope someday. And though we wait for it someday, In reality, we get to know the glory of God today. We get to know the presence and the power of God even when we don't have the privilege to see those who are lost to death come back to life now. We don't have the privilege to know the mind of God, but we do have the presence and power of God with us. Our hope in the glory of God is because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is the one who died for us and rose again. The story, an amazing story, does tell us the call is to trust him. Is to trust him. And we'll see and experience God's love and power even in the greatest confusion, difficulty, and crisis. It is wonderful when people come together to comfort each other. Something fundamentally different when Jesus is present. Because not only does he comfort, he is the resurrection and the life. And as we trust him, He does show his glory. He shows his goodness and his love and his power. And we look forward to the day when we have trusted him. We'll see it.
fully. So the invitation for us today is to put our trust in Him. Jesus said, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for that invitation. Pray by your Spirit that you would speak now, telling us each one, if you'll believe, if you will trust me, just invite a time for you to listen to him and to speak to him, to trust him. Jesus, you invite each one of us. Will you trust me? And I confess, I am so quick not to trust you, to worry, to to wonder, to think maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't, or to give up and say there is no hope. So we prayed earlier, we are sorry that we failed to trust you, and yet you are trustworthy, and so we ask for your help to trust you. We ask that as we trust you, that you would show us your glory, that you would help us to know your heart that weeps for us, your heart that is angry against that which destroys and steals. And we pray that we would know the promise of life forever, because Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. We thank you for your victory. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the promise of rejoicing in your glory forever. So we trust you. In your name and your authority we pray. Amen.